You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 58. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you for your time and attention. I know it's valuable, and therefore, I don't want to waste your time with anything extra. So let's just dive right into the debrief. This is an article that was written by Ellis Barboza, Muay Thai fighter, Muay Thai champion in England. And even though I wanted to dive back into Nietzsche today, get back into that track, when I read this, it caused me to take a step back because I really haven't zeroed in on this for quite some time, actually. It's been a minute. And especially driving home this morning from the gym where I trained with my coach, it got me thinking about this conversation and, I don't know, kind of going back to it again, re connecting with this whole conversation about mental toughness, not just in Muay Thai, which is what the article is about, but mental toughness in general, in life. You don't have to train Muay Thai. You don't have to be a Muay Thai fighter. You don't have to be a competitive jiu-jitsu practitioner. You don't have to be an MMA fighter to focus on mental toughness or recognize the importance of mental, mental toughness. So I thought, yeah, let's go back. Let's re- introduce ourselves. Let's get reacquainted with this conversation about mental toughness, because I really do think it is in some ways more important than the physical game when it comes to fighting. And I think Ellis will agree with me on that, or I agree with him. But before we begin then and dive into the article, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, you want to support the podcast, the research, the resources, all that I do to keep the podcast up to date and as, you know, put out the best product that I can possibly put out. Uh, you can go to Anchor FM, Warrior Priest Podcast, and click the support button. Otherwise, subscribe and recommend the podcast to others. I truly appreciate it. I really do. So that being said, let's dive into this article by Ellis Barboza, Five Steps to Develop Unstoppable Mental Toughness for Muay Thai. And the link to the article will be in the show notes. Here we go. So, mental strength, a subject everyone thinks about, but little talk about in this game. However, one of the most important aspects of any fighter's game is having a strong mind. With Muay Thai being one of the toughest, grueling sports in the world, it is obvious why you require killer mental toughness. I actually think fighting in some ways is more mental than physical. And that is probably contrary to what you believe right now, but hear me out. I am not saying skill does not matter, but let's imagine everyone is equal in terms of skill which at the highest level, they are. The difference in this instance that decides who wins a fight is usually going to be who wants it more and who is mentally tougher. To go anywhere in this sport, you have to be able to push yourself to your limits and fight through the grueling days of the game. And it is at this point you will see success on the other side. Muay Thai fight training can push anyone at any level to the point where you want to walk away from the sport and then never come back. But this is where the mental toughness is most necessary. I get it. It can be so hard at times to find that drive and push when you are tired, aching, and generally just beaten down. So here are five ways in which I have learned to push myself and develop mental toughness. I posted about this on Instagram this morning. On Wednesday mornings, I drive up to the gym and I train with my coach for an hour. No clock, no distractions, no one's there. It's just the two of us. 
first thing in the morning, we show up and we train for an hour straight. And we just go for an hour. I tap, we reset. I tap, we reset over and over and over again. Everything that is wrong with my game, all of the flaws, all the weaknesses in my game, both on offense and defense are exposed. Today, for example, my hips were lazy. I don't know what was wrong, what I didn't eat or what I didn't drink before I trained, but my hips were just lazy. I could not get out from underneath my coach to save my life when he was inside control. And yet, because of that, I got caught in a whole bunch of different submissions than normal. I got fist choked twice. I got forearm choked once because I got both of my arms trapped underneath him. But in those moments then, it is easy to lose track of yourself, to get frustrated physically because my hips were lazy and I couldn't shrimp properly and I couldn't hip properly or bridge properly. You can get frustrated mentally that your body is not translating what your brain, the signals your brain are sending to your body. You can get frustrated emotionally. Getting fist choke, not fun if you're not used to it, if you don't have the mental toughness to grit your jaw and flex your, your, your traps and, and try and resist that. And just overall, 60 straight minutes of rolling with a black belt who outweighs you by 20 or 30 pounds can be frustrating. It can beat you down. It can defeat you if you allow it. Or you can revel in it and celebrate it and be grateful for it and laugh every time you're caught because you recognize this is a black belt and you are not. You are a purple belt. And even rolling with a, a higher purple belt like I did after I got done rolling with my coach. So much to learn from him too. And I truly appreciate Bob for the fact that he does take the time to roll with me. And in the midst of those roles, we have a conversation. And he points things out to me that I'm not aware of or that I don't think work. And he walks me through how to set them up how to get the position, how to get control, how to get the submission, what I'm doing wrong. It's a workshop for me. It's a 60-minute workshop where I get to look at my weaknesses and the flaws in my game and all of the vulnerabilities and correct them under the guidance and tutelage of someone who is better than me. But I can see where 60 straight minutes of any kind of sparring or rolling could really beat a person down. And that's kind of the point though. The reason that I do it at least once a week and I'll do a two a day because I'll then go back to the gym later tonight and I'll roll with my teammates for an hour. The point is it builds stamina, it builds strength. Significantly increases both when you do something like that because you're pushing yourself past that five or seven or 10 minute limit. You're not dependent on the clock to save you. There's no one watching. There's no opportunity for your ego to get in the way because it's just you and your coach. And you know, no matter what happens, you're going to get tapped because he's just better than you are. And he should be, he's your coach. But to take the time to give me his time, like he does on Wednesday morning so that I can come in and train with him, to me is the greatest privilege that I could imagine. And like I said, the possibility then for growth increases significantly because I get that time, but I have to make that time too. I have to carve that time out in my work schedule, my family time, and essentially, you know, get absolved to go and do that. Because it's not just training with my coach that improves my overall jujitsu. 
It's not just going in on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. and training with my Muay Thai coach for an hour, just the two of us. It doesn't just improve my Muay Thai game. It improves my life. Because in just that one aspect that I've discussed thus far, that it improves my physical, mental, and emotional strength and stamina, well, that means that in the rest of my life, I carry that strength and stamina with me so that I am more patient, so that I can withstand stressors and peer pressure. And in the midst of drama and conflict that other people are creating, I'm unaffected by it. I don't allow myself to become emotionally involved in their play, in their script. And I'm sure we'll get to it in these five aspects of mental toughness, but one of the most difficult things that I struggle with regularly is because I train with people who are usually half my age, more athletic than I am, stronger than I am physically, full of you know piss and vinegar because they're young. It's easy for me to engage in negative self-talk, to beat myself down mentally and emotionally, and even physically if I'm not careful, overtraining, pushing myself too hard when I roll or when I spar. And I have to be aware of that. I have to be conscious of the fact that I'm almost 50. I'll be 50 in July. I am passing now from the time when I would be considered a warrior in the past to the time when I am going to become a sage, a wise man for the village, and that I can't fight like I could when I was 28. But that's okay, because hopefully that passage of time has prepared me, has given me wisdom through repeated failure and surviving those failures, so that rather than only focus on always being ready for a fight, always being ready for a competition, now I just want to be the best martial artist that I can be. I want to be the best coach I can be. I want to be the best teammate and training partner that I can be. But I think that aspect of training can only come then through exposing yourself and submitting yourself, putting yourself in situations that really tax you, really force you to fall back on your training. Because I can tell you after 45 or 50 minutes of rolling with a black belt, you're not trying to overpower them. You're not going to beat them with your quick twitch reflexes. You're going to pass their guard. You're going to get to side control. You're going to exert your will upon them through technique and through good technique, which is why rolling with a higher belt to me is so valuable because no matter how good you think your technique is, a higher belt, someone more experienced than you is going to expose those flaws and weaknesses and force you to problem solve and force you essentially to become mentally and physically and emotionally tougher, not stronger, but tougher, more resilient. So the first thing that then uh, Ellis brings up here is discipline. Respect yourself. The first step in developing the mental strength that you need for a fight is being disciplined. And what I mean by this is sticking to your word no matter what. Not letting any excuses, no matter the emotional or physical feeling, get in the way of your goals. What I like to do is set myself a clear schedule. Each day, I know exactly what I am doing. So there is then no excuse or confusion when it comes to the time to train. I can then just get it done. Set yourself a training schedule. Respect yourself enough to stick to it. Even when you are tired, frustrated, aching, train anyway. 
you need to develop a little voice in your head that reminds yourself of why you are training. The end goal. Every time you feel like missing a session and letting yourself slip, this voice needs to pop up and push you along. It is these small wins that make a difference over time. You pushed yourself to do something you did not want to do. Imagine how much tougher you would be if you did that consistently for six months or a year. The way I look at it is every time you choose not to train, you are disrespecting the goal that you set out. So either your goal is not big enough or it did not mean that much to you. Remember going back to previous debrief, previous debrief when we were reading Nietzsche and he talks about your ambition needs to be greater than what you can imagine for your life. Like that's what makes someone an ubermensch, someone who is a brave, a, a, a courageous person, is that their ambitions are greater than the things that they can imagine for their life. Whereas the slave, the common herd, the untermensch, they don't really have ambitions that are, are bigger than themselves. Their ambition is just comfort and pleasure and satisfying their cravings from moment to moment. They are slaves to their compulsions, slave to their, their lusts. Whereas the ubermensch, the brave warrior, is one who sets for him and herself goals that are greater, that surpass what they can imagine for their life. So then when you accomplish that goal, you realize in that moment, I can accomplish so much more than I ever imagined I was capable of accomplishing. And so you're continuously redrawing the line for yourself, resetting your goals because you're smashing them. You're pushing through those goals. You reach them and realize, I can keep going. I can do more. What ends up happening then through discipline is that you create opportunities for yourself not to be greater than other people, but to be better than the person that you were yesterday. And as a consequence in the fight game, perhaps then that's the thing that pushes you over the finish line. That's the thing that brings you victory at home, in the workplace, in the gym, in the ring, wherever it might be, is that you are tougher. You are more mentally strengthened than the other person because you put yourself in that situation. I've got to get up at 6 a.m. I've got to get dressed. I've got to eat. I've got to get ready to train with my coach. I've got to get in the car and drive there. I got to put in the work. And then I got to come home and put in the work that I skipped so that I could train with my coach. I don't get that time back. So that means I have to double or triple down on my efforts to get the work accomplished. And then I'm going to go back to the gym. And I can't just show up to the gym and half-ass it just because I trained this morning. But rather, I got to put forth put forth my best effort for my teammates to show my coach I can do a two a day and I can still show up and be the best version of myself today. All of those goals are things that I set for myself. It's my schedule, my training schedule. But all of life is my training schedule and my training schedule encompasses all of my life because I'm not just talking training in the sense of Muay Thai or Jiu Jitsu. I'm talking about training in the sense of life, of being the best possible man that I can be for my wife, for my children, for my congregation, for my teammates. Training is not just showing up at the gym. That's just one aspect of training. If we're talking about life, everything that we do in life is a part of training 
to be better at life. But if you don't respect yourself enough to stick with your schedule, well, then what can you expect as far as your goals? If you don't respect yourself, how can you respect others? And if you don't respect yourself when you're tired, frustrated, achy, are you going to train anyways? No, you're going to take the day off. Or you're going to show up and put out 20% or 30%. You're not going to be there because you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm just so tired and sore from this morning. Or, hey, man, you know, the weekend really killed me, so I'm going to take it easy today. That's fine, but that has to be your goal then. Set that as your goal so that when you do show up, your goal is, I need to show up, I need to stretch, I need to do some technique drills, and I got to roll, but I'm going to tell my training partners, you know what, I'm not at 100%. Had a really tough weekend. Maybe you had some fights this weekend. Maybe you had a lot of work to do out in the backyard this weekend. Whatever it might be. Maybe you had to put in extra time at work this weekend and you just frazzled. Again, set a clear schedule for yourself. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to train to the best of my ability, but I'm also going to accept that today my best is 20 or 30%. It's not going to be 90 to 100%. Set that as your goal though, smash that goal, and then come back the next day, do it again. Always be adjusting your goals. Always be realistic and sober with yourself about what you're going to be able to accomplish today. But likewise, that dichotomy then is your ambition needs to be greater than what you can imagine for your life, which means, yeah, not every day is going to be the best version of you, but that doesn't mean then that you quit. Maybe you can't get to the gym. Fine, go for a jog, run a 5K. You don't feel like running, get, a, get the sledgehammer out and go hit the tire. Do 30, 45 minutes with your sledgehammer working out on that tire. Do something though. Set your training schedule and stick to it. Respect yourself enough and what you're going to accomplish if you keep going forward to keep doing it. And as he says, either your goal is not big enough or it didn't mean that much to you if you end up quitting, if you choose not to train, if you end up choosing to disrespect yourself and the goals you've set for yourself. Second then, oh, here we go, running and road work, my favorite thing in the world. I ran track in high school and college, first two years of college. And uh, I can be honest, there's few things in life that I hate. I don't really hate running. I just really strongly dislike running (laughs) because I had to do it so much when I was younger. So Ellis writes, I don't care what anyone says, running and road work is an essential part of any Muay Thai program. Putting the fitness benefits aside, it does wonders for your mental toughness. I agree. I follow David Goggins' philosophy. I don't listen to music or podcasts while I run. It's just me and the world around me. It's just me and my thoughts. Which you want to talk about mental toughness. Be alone and suffering with your thoughts while cars are buzzing by you at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And your legs are just begging you to stop. (laughs) Ellis writes, road work can be extremely grueling. And knowing you have to run for miles when you are feeling beat up and tired is depressing. But as mentioned already, it is important to stay disciplined and push through. There are many mornings I wake up and really try to talk myself out of running. But that little voice says, do it anyway. And I remind myself why I need to run. That reason could be anything and is different for everyone. For me, it is to make sure I beat my next opponent. It may be the same for you. Or it may be that you have made a promise to increase your fitness. Whatever it is, again, Respect it. 
respect yourself. Respect the schedule that you've made for yourself. Respect your goals. And just do it. Get up and do it. As he writes, in the times that you feel particularly defeated, it is important to take the smallest wins. Just completing the run would be a win. So try not to pressure yourself on times, distances, etc. Just be consistent. And when you say you're going to run, run. Like I just said in regards to training. Maybe you don't show up at 100%. Maybe you're at 20 or 30%, but show up anyways. Because your 20 or 30% is what your teammate, your training partner, your colleague or your peer needs from you. Just show up. Be consistent. If you say you're going to show up for somebody, show up. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to accomplish it, then bend your will toward accomplishing that goal. If you're going to run, run. Now, during the run itself, as you will know, there are times when you want to stop and take a breather. I've been there many times. What I like to do, which I find helps loads, is set little scenarios in my head that can get me through. For example, when I'm tired in the last mile or so, I imagine it is the last round of a fight and I am losing. So I have to finish the fight by KO. This pushes me through to the end of the run and I often pick up the pace. I like that. I do the same. I imagine scenarios where I have to run and I can't stop. Usually it involves my children. I'll imagine really dark stuff in my head. Like uh, someone comes into my house or someone grabs one of my kids while they're out in the yard and I have to chase them down. To me, that's the motivation. Is if I get my hands on you, you're done. But if I don't have the conditioning to run you down, that's on me. And that pushes me through because I get angry and that rage starts to build up inside of me and that fire starts to burn hotter and hotter. And all of a sudden, I forgot about my shins. I forget about my Achilles tendons. And all of a sudden, I'm a mile two down the road and I realize, oh, I went to a really dark place there for a second. But that's what pushes me. That's what gets me through is to know, like, like I've talked about with this morning in training, if I can train, if I can fight for 60 minutes straight without stopping, well, then when I compete in a tournament where I've got a seven-minute clock, well, what's seven minutes when I'm used to training for an hour? It's nothing. Likewise, if I get in a fight, maybe you're good for 30 seconds. Maybe you're good for a minute and 30 seconds. I'm good for 60 minutes. I can just go and go and go. I'm the energizer bunny. Same thing goes for running though. I tell women this in my self-defense, Muay Thai self-defense class. First rule of self-defense, get a good pair of running shoes. Often you can outrun your attacker if you have the stamina and the cardio to accomplish it. So get good at running. Get a good pair of running shoes. And that way when you see the threat, when it starts coming toward you, run. And keep running and find out how bad do they want to take your body or your possessions or your life away from you? How far are they willing to run? Because if you can run for an hour straight without stopping, I guarantee you 99.9% of people who are going to come after you are going to quit within the first three blocks. Push yourself. Figure out how to push yourself. And then do it. Number three, quit the negative talk. There's a famous quote that has always stuck with me since reading it. Do not talk badly of yourself. 
because the warrior within is lessened by them. This could not be more true. Your thoughts become things, and I stick by this. Whatever way you talk to yourself becomes a reality. Your brain is like a sponge. What's interesting is 95% of it is subconscious. Only 5% of it is conscious. Meaning the 5% of thoughts will be playing a part on the much bigger part of your brain. Everything that you consistently consciously think is training your subconscious reality. Meaning it will come true. You can use this in both positive and negative ways. And it is extremely powerful. Now I know this sounds complicated, but when I wrapped my head around this, it changed my whole outlook on life. The way you talk to yourself becomes ingrained in your subconscious. This then runs on autopilot. Let's say every session, when you are tired, you say, eh, forget it, I can't be bothered. And you stop training. Or you don't push yourself as much as you know you should or can. This then becomes a natural response. This becomes ingrained in your subconscious mind. So when it comes to the fight night and you are in deep waters, your brain triggers the same way. The exact same response. Ah, I can't be bothered. It knows no other way. It can't suddenly produce a response it hasn't been trained to do. Some of you may know, not know. Some of you may not know exactly what I'm talking about. So let's put this into a more relatable perspective. If you threw a kick every session poorly, your guard's down, you're off balance, the angle is wrong, you will throw that same kick in a fight. Perfect technique does not just magically appear. This principle is the same for your mental voice. So in short, start talking to yourself more positively each session. Instead of, I can't be bothered, say, I need to do this. I need to win. This will carry over into everything in life. That is so awesome to hear somebody else write that, express it that way, because I tell my students this constantly. If you develop bad habits in the gym, when you get in a real fight, those bad habits will come out. Because as the man said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You get low leg kicked, you get teeped in the gut, you get a, a lead hook to the cheek. What's your plan? What habits are you going to fall back on? Are they good habits or bad habits? What training are you going to fall back on? Good training or bad training? Are you going to mentally quit when there's eight seconds left on the clock and you're defeated by a TKO because you dropped your guard with eight seconds left in the round because that's what you do in training? I think about this all the time. It eats away at me like a cancer when I check out or submit mentally. Usually it happens this way. I'll be rolling with someone and we'll be sparring and they'll get me in a situation where I know if I just hold out a little bit longer, the clock will probably run itself out. But I don't know exactly how much time is left on the clock. And sometimes then, if I'm tired or it hurts a lot, I'll tap and then I'll look up and there's eight seconds left on the clock or three seconds. And I usually let out a moan or cry of frustration because if I had just held it for eight more seconds, I wouldn't have tapped. I wouldn't have been defeated. Likewise in Muay Thai, last night I was just doing bag work before I taught class. Had the timer on, the, the clock, just going through warm-ups, punches, elbows, knees, kicks, doing footwork. The clock gets down to three seconds. I'm tired. It's the end of my warm-up, my workout. 
And I walked away. And as I'm walking away, I'm thinking to myself, turn around, go back, finish. Don't quit at three. Quit when the timer goes off. And the timer went off while I was thinking about it. So next time, I got to correct that because it's a little wrinkle right now, but it can tear me wide open if I keep doing it and I'm consistent about it. And then I quit at three seconds and I drop my guard or I relax and that's when you get clocked. I get tired. I get mentally fatigued. So I tap when I could have held on for another eight seconds and then possibly won the match on points. 5% is conscious. 95% of this is unconscious. This is, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but for me, this is a big one, negative talk. Because I am surrounded by people day in and day out who are doing what I'm doing. They're training in Muay Thai, training in Jiu Jitsu, MMA fighters, and they're really good, really good. And it is easy then to lose track of your own accomplishments yourself because you start looking at yourself in the mirror of other people. And so you're not a good wrestler when you're going against someone who's been wrestling since they were 12 years old. You're not a good jujitsu because you've been rolling with someone who's been doing jujitsu two times longer than you have or is just better at it than you are, but they've been doing it less time. You get frustrated because you get ragdolled by someone who outweighs you by 100 pounds and you think to yourself, well, I'll just gain weight. That'll fix the problem. There are so many different ways that we defeat ourselves mentally before we ever get in a fight. I've talked about this in the jujitsu debrief, how I defeated myself before I ever got to my second tournament and got beat twice by the same person. He didn't beat me. I beat myself. He was just there to finish the story, to close the book on what I had already done to myself. And it was all mental. Physically, we were the same weight. I think I was actually a little bit stronger than he was. I had more flexible hips than he did. I was better at technique than he was, but I quit mentally before I ever got there. And I struggle with this constantly, like I said, because I am not one for sitting there at home, sitting in the car when I'm driving back and forth to the gym, thinking to myself, I'm a world beater. I'm the best at what I do. I'm great. I'm a winner. I'm awesome because I do this. I'm a dangerous man. I don't think that way about myself, not even in my quiet moments. But I am constantly on myself with self-criticism and self-critique. Maybe that's why I have such a good defensive game in jiu-jitsu and in Muay Thai, because I'm constantly worried about screwing up and I'm constantly worried about not doing the technique correctly and developing good habits and being crisp and clean with my technique. To the point where sometimes I just wait for the opponent to go first so that I can counter. But at root, the reason that I do that is because I engage in too much negative talk. I'm too critical of myself and I am probably too harsh in my judgment of my abilities too often. But like a friend said to me a long time ago, negativity has a certain gravity to it, a certain weight to it that positivity does not. Positivity is like a balloon that just kind of floats away. Someone can compliment me and I'll say thank you and then immediately engage in self-criticism. Or someone can compliment me and then someone can say something critical. That compliment floated away. All I hear 
is the sucking noise of that negative judgment, that critique of me. And I'll carry that with me. I'm like a prairie fence, just catching everything that blows, you know, into it. If you even make a joke, that's, you know, it's a joke. You're, you're, you're making fun of something that I do. And it's just in good humor. Even people that respect me, I'll carry that with me. And I will use that as fuel to drive me to improve and to change my game. So that you can't say that about me anymore. But it's all negative talk. And I know it's not healthy. And I know it's not productive or constructive. And it's something that I have to consciously be aware of and correct myself. But like I said, in my quiet moments, because I'm so critical of myself and critical of myself in every aspect of my life, my career, anything that I do, I can get locked in this treadmill, this kind of circular you know, trajectory of thinking where I'm constantly on myself, constantly judging myself, constantly criticizing myself. And then someone jokingly says, ah, yeah, you always do that thing. And then all of a sudden that, that's like an extra weight added to me that's like, oh, see, I knew it. I was right. I was right in my, in my self-judgment. He recognized it too. She just said that thing. For me anyways, and maybe it's, it's just something that's unique to me. I don't know, but it's much easier for me to say, I need to do this because I'm not good enough. I need to win because I don't want to be a loser versus I need to do this because it's beneficial to me and everyone else in my life. I need to win. Well, actually, that's, a, that's another one I struggle with a lot too is the need to win. I'm just, I'm too old at this point to really give a shit about being quote unquote a winner all the time in the gym. At a tournament, different, different thing altogether. When I go into a tournament, I have one thing on my mind, win. <laughs> do whatever I need to do to win within the rule set. When I'm in a fight, I'm thinking, yeah, one of us is going to lose and it's going to be you because I'm harder than you are. I'm meaner than you are. And this shit gets me excited. So the first time you catch me with a good kicker punch, I immediately, all of a sudden, I just drop the clutch and we're going. Like that gets me excited. If I, If you punch or kick me and I smile back at you, it's go time. Things are about to get real intense real fast. But outside of that, I don't need to quote unquote win when I'm rolling with my teammates in jujitsu. I don't need to win when I'm sparring in Muay Thai with my students or people that are my peers. I don't have that need to prove to other people I'm a winner and you're a loser. I think that's ego and I think that's ugly and I think it's destructive and hurtful. Whereas what he's saying here is, Instead of saying, in the fight, I can't be bothered, you say, I need to do this, I need to win. Win, not just in the sense of, I defeated you, but win in the sense of, I accomplished my goals. I accomplished what I set out to do. So then when that carries over into everything else in life, that positive self-talk carries over into life too. Well, if I can accomplish this in a fight, if I can accomplish this when I'm training in the gym with my coach, well, what else can I accomplish in life? Because that is a remarkable feat to be able to train with my coach, to be able to win that fight, to be able to function at that level as a martial artist. And if I can do that, that really difficult thing that people are afraid to even attempt to do, if I can do it and be successful at it, win at it, what else can I accomplish in my life? What else can I do that I, you know, previously I've, I've engaged in this negative self-talk and I haven't even started the project because I 
basically just self-criticize and judge myself into non-action. Fourth, visualization. Visualization is one of the most powerful things any fighter or anyone can do. And something I have had great success with myself in ways you probably wouldn't even believe if I told you. But I'll tell you anyways. That's good. All I want to say real quick is, my favorite time to engage in visualization is in the shower. I, I'm, there's nobody else around. Got a hot shower going. You're just there. Your thoughts wander. And that's when I start thinking through how my coach submitted me, how I got caught with that right hook in sparring, what I can do to correct those things, what I can do, where I need to do more research and study with, what I need to focus on more in my training. For me, it's the shower, for sure. A few years ago, Ellis writes, I visited a sports psychologist, Tom Bates. He is the mental coach for some of the best football clubs in the UK. He taught me some really powerful stuff about visualization that I use every day. The way he explained visualization to me was that the more you visualize something or yourself in a situation, the more your mind gets used to it and familiarizes itself with it. So when it comes to you actually being in that same situation, your brain feels like it has been there before and knows how to respond in the way you've taught it to. Almost like deja vu. Crazy, right? This can have some real positive effects on fights. In one of my most recent fights, I won by KO. I threw two elbows and knocked my opponent out in the first round. What's mad is that this is exactly the outcome I had visualized leading up to the fight. I even said to my girlfriend, I'm going to knock him out with an elbow. And then it happened. Now, I'm not saying that if you think you're going to win in round one with a KO, it's going to happen every time. All I'm saying is thinking positively, picturing yourself in a situation can have a great effect when it comes to real fighting. So your mind is clear on what you want it to do on the night. Tom made some even more interesting points about this process too. It's not just as simple as thinking of all the positive outcomes. As you know, fighting is never this easy, no matter how much you visualize things going your way. He said you need to think of potentially negative situations that may happen too, which, as I noted, if you're prone to negative self-talk or negative uh, visualization, that shouldn't be too hard to accomplish. So for example, then things aren't going your way in the fight. You're getting hit with shots. You then need to visualize how you respond and adapt to what is happening in a positive way. Instead of panicking and freezing when the round one picture perfect viral KO hasn't happened as you visualized it. So this leads me to my next point. Exercise your mind your brain is a muscle. But back to point four, visualization. Key point here, I think, too, is just because you visualize it, just because you imagine it, doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. However, visualizing success, visualizing how you're going to win the fight, it does force you, it compels you to figure out in your mind beforehand, where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? What part of my game do I need to tighten up? Where are the flaws and vulnerabilities in my game, my weaknesses? But also then, on the other side, what are my strengths? Where do I excel? What do I need to lean into? What habits do I lean into? What techniques am I really sharp at executing? And then I visualize, oh, you're really good with elbows. I love elbows. It's like my coach says, if he holds the tie pad at the wrong angle, he knows an elbow's coming. 
because my brain just sees that pad at a weird angle and goes, he definitely wants me to throw an elbow right here. And then I'm just on it. I love elbows. I love clinch fighting. And so when I visualize how a fight's going to go, it usually involves a couple lead teeps. <laughs> it involves some footwork. And then it eventually, I close in on my opponent and I grapple with them. And in that clinch, elbows, knees, dump. And I visualize that over and over and over and over again. I visualize my footwork. There's times where I just sit and think and imagine my feet moving to avoid sweeps and dumps, to avoid getting myself in a prone situation, awkward situation where I'm off balance or I'm back on my heels. Sometimes I just visualize what I'm going to do with my hands and my elbows. Other times I visualize what I'm going to do with that teep. At different times, I'll visualize different things. And then I'll focus in on the what ifs. Well, what if he counters? What if he does this instead? Now, I would also argue, because I do this if I'm not careful, this can lead you down a rabbit hole that's endless, imagining all the possibilities for how your opponent could react to different scenarios and situations. Instead, don't try and anticipate what your opponent's going to do. You don't get to think for them. They, their thinking, their understanding, their game plan, and how they execute it is out of your control. This is where our old friend Epictetus the Stoic can help us. I can only control my own thoughts. I can't control what happens around me or outside of me. I can't control my opponent. But what I can do is anticipate how my opponent is going to react to my technique because my opponent is also training in Muay Thai and therefore a jab is a jab, a slip is a slip, a rear round kick is a rear round kick. All of these things are there. I'm aware that my opponent knows these things. My opponent is a practitioner in Muay Thai. He's going to throw similar things at me. So there are certain things I can anticipate. And those things that I can anticipate, such as technique, that's what I focus in on. Not my opponent's thoughts, not my opponent's reactions to what I do, but rather, well, what is the counter to the right elbow? Well, here's a couple. Okay, so what do I need to do? Tuck my chin, roll my shoulder. What's the angle that I'm going to enter in on? How am I going to enter into the clinch? How am I going to set myself up? And what angle am I going to take to get into the clinch? And if... My opponent squares back up with me. If he gets his elbows inside, how do I disengage? How do I re-engage? How do I regain control of the clinch? These are the things I think about in the shower, in the car, actually while I'm talking on podcasts sometimes. <laughs> but I'm always doing this because I think what happens is that the more you think about it, the more preoccupied you become with it, the more entertaining it becomes in a certain sense because it's something that gives me joy, it gives me pleasure. Because it is a part of being a martial artist. And since I love being a martial artist, thinking about martial arts is pleasing to me. I enjoy it. So if I'm going to let my mind wander, it's not going to be stressing out about things that I have no control over, but rather it's going to be, in, how do I improve my game? How do I improve my mental focus and toughness? How do I improve my footwork or my overall reaction to my opponent when they attack or counterattack? What outcome do I visualize leading into this sparring session or this fight? And then when I do get in those, I actually, like Ella says, I throw an elbow or I enter into the clinch just the, how I visualized it. But it's not think it and then it happens, but rather you have to do it 
and train over and over, day after day after day after day after day, constantly honing your craft, constantly practicing the fundamentals. If you don't have a good stiff jab, getting into the clinch is going to be difficult. Defense is going to be difficult. Everything is going to be more difficult if you have, if you have a weak jab or you don't know how to throw an effective jab. So before you start visualizing Sanchai type of Superman punches or handstand head kicks, develop a really good jab. Develop really solid footwork. Have a good defense, even a great defense. And the rest will come in time. But if you, if you try and bypass the fundamentals because you want to visualize highlight reels and viral videos in your own mind, I'm not saying you're going to get knocked out, but I think you're going to lose more than you win. That's just my opinion. That's just my experience. Don't visualize how you can make a highlight reel. Visualize how you can show up and be the most effective fighter that you can be at that time, in that moment. And I think it does begin with visualization, for sure. But that, that visualization, I think, goes along with quitting negative talk. Because how do you visualize success if you're constantly beating yourself up and thinking about what a loser you are or how weak you are or, well, I'm not a killer. Well, okay, good. I don't want you to be a killer. You shouldn't be a serial killer or a psychopath. It's an analogy. <laughs> He's a killer. He's never, you know, most fighters have never actually killed someone. It's a euphemism. Nor do I know many fighters who actually set out to kill their opponents. It's a lot of talk. It's hyperbole. It's a way to get themselves psyched up to do something that is, at base, very frightening. Fighting another person is filled with fear and anxiety. And one of the ways that you overcome that fear and anxiety is to confront the monster in your own mind and to tear it down and to say, I'm going to kill you, monster. I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to tear you to pieces. I'm going to ruin your life. All you're doing is confronting the monster in your own head. That's all you're doing. So exercise your mind, number five. Your brain is like a muscle. It can be trained to withstand punishment and become stronger over time, just like your physical body. However, it takes consistency to do all of the following I've spoken about. Exactly. You have to do it day after day, over and over. Visualization is not just as simple as thinking about the best possible outcomes, like winning by KO once and never visiting it again. You need to think of negative outcomes too. Well, there you go. The beauty is in visualizing yourself to respond to them in a positive way. This is the most important aspect of it for me. These are the tough situations in a fight. So instead of panicking and freezing, wouldn't it be good to have trained your mind to be ready for them? This is where it becomes ingrained in you and you become ready for everything and anything a fight can throw at you. Going back to the example that I about this morning, my coach fist choked me twice. If you don't know how that works, he's basically inside control on top of me and gets me in a position where he traps both my arms. One arm is trapped under his arm. The other one he shoves between his legs. And then laying there, he just sticks his fist in my throat and pushes until I tap. But because I'm used to it, I refuse to tap right away. And I, like I said, I grit my teeth, I flex my jaw, I tense up my traps and my neck muscles, and I force him to push through my jaw to get me to say tap through gritted teeth. Why do I do that? 
because I've one experienced it before two, it's painful. It's not a, it's not a blood choke. I'm not going to pass out from it. And three, it's just to push myself. I know he's got me, but I'm not just going to say tap because he's got me. I'm going to force him to actually set the, the submission. And if it's a fist choke or he's going to choke me with his form across my esophagus, then by God, he's going to do it. I'm not going to just say there, lay there and say tap because my arms are trapped. Do it. But I'm used to it. It's been done to me before. I'm not surprised by it, right? You laugh it off after you say tap because you got caught in it and you knew that you shouldn't have gotten caught in it. You had a mental lapse or a physical lapse and that's how you ended up with both of your arms trapped, which led to a fist choke, for example. And my coach just does it because he's messing with me at that point. <laughs> that's the relationship we have. But it's not negative. It's not a negative outcome for me. It's just a matter of, okay, mentally, could I tap right now? Sure, absolutely. Do I need to tap right now? No, there's not much pain. How much pain do you need to endure to tap? Well, today, let's find out. How far am I willing to go with this before I tap? And I think for myself too, since I'm thinking about it, I'll talk about it. I am always consciously aware of the line in my own head. And what I mean by that is there's a line in my mind. And if I cross it, I turn into a different person. And I go from being a person who is there to learn and to be competitive and to improve and grow as a human being and as a martial artist to someone who wants to rip your head off and destroy you. And if I let that rage come out of me, one, obviously, it's going to negatively affect my relationship with my coach and with my teammates even with my opponents. And two, for me, and this is just me, if I cross that line, I feel like I've let myself down. I feel like I've disrespected myself by allowing another person's actions, even if I'm completely helpless and there's nothing I can do to stop what comes next. If I lose my mind in that moment, if I cross that line and I go from being someone who is being respectful who is engaging in this, this fight or this, this sparring around with someone so that we can, yes, we're fighting. And yes, we're kicking and punching and scrambling and going for the back and getting toe holds or elbow locks or whatever it might be. Yes, we're competing for sure. And there's a certain amount of ego that has to be there for anybody to do that, especially consistently. But at least for myself, as much as it is within me to to do and accomplish, I do not allow myself to cross that line where when I'm rolling with someone, all of a sudden I switch over and now we're not sparring anymore. This is a fight and I'm going to wreck you. I don't ever want to cross that line. Even in a fight, I, I try not to cross that line. And I can, again, I condition myself. I visualize these scenarios where I do let go and I do lose control so that I can work out for myself, what are the emotions behind this? Why would I allow myself to cross that line? What do I hope to accomplish by crossing that line? And then I walk it back and, I, and figuring out my motives, figuring out the intent behind them, figuring out the source, like the root of what stirs up that rage in me that I could cross that line. It, it helps me pull back and reinforce for myself, okay, you know where the line is at, you know that you can cross that line whenever you want. So now don't. 
and here's the reasons why you don't want to. That to me is a part of exercising your mind then, is recognizing that I have that place that I can go to. I have that dark place in my heart that I can descend into. But what's going to happen as a consequence to me as a person? What's going to happen to my training partner? What's going to happen to my opponent? And like I said, when you translate this into the rest of your life, if you cross that line in the gym, in my opinion, then you're more than likely to cross that line in your life. And at the gym or in the cage, we signed a contract. We paid to be there to fight. And we agreed on the rule set. And we agreed to the risk and the rewards. Together, we agreed on that. But in the rest of my life, most of the people that I interface with during the day, they didn't sign the contract. They didn't pay to get in a fight with me. They certainly didn't agree to allow me to put my hands on them and to fold them into a pretzel because I disagree with them or they threaten me. So I never want to be that person. I just don't. I was that person for too long when I was younger, all the way into my 30s and even in my early 40s. And the older I get, maybe just because I'm tired now and injured more often than I used to be. But I just, I see that as the ugliest aspects of my personality and something that I never want other people to experience because I don't want to experience it because I feel so gross and ugly afterwards. I feel like I've, I've violated myself, both, like I said, at the level of my own person, but also then in my relationships with others. Because I don't think there's any place for that if you're a coach and an instructor, for sure. But I also don't think there's any place for that as a teammate. And I'll actually avoid training with people who do have that attitude and that mindset, where they allow themselves to cross that line and become too emotionally involved in what's happening to the extent that they not only must win, but they'll do anything to you to win. They don't care if they hurt you. They don't care if you've got a wife and kids and a job and you got to pay bills. They don't care in the moment. They just want to rip your arm out of the socket to win. And I just, I have no time for those kinds of people. I don't like ruling with those kinds of people. I don't really respect those kinds of people because I don't think it's a very mature approach to what we're doing and I don't think it's very respectful. So rant over, <laughs> sorry. But this needs to be practiced then, this mindset and exercising your mind, putting yourself in uncomfortable scenarios in your own mind, visualizing both the positives and the negatives so that when anything happens within the context of the fight and everything that happens within the context of the fight happens, you're at least prepared mentally to do what is necessary to compensate for being put on the defensive, for being hurt versus also then the other side of it, you stun your opponent, they get chicken legs, you're on top of your opponent, they give up an arm, they give up their throat, you're ready. You've spent the time training yourself mentally to recognize this is when I go. This is when I dial this in. This is when I attack. But this needs to be practiced every day for a good amount of time. You would not do one pad session in the lead up to a fight and then never do it again, would you? I hope not. You wouldn't be fit right. Mental training is the same. You need to work consistently over time and you will see major results. It's the same with positive talk. It's no good talking to yourself positively sometimes and negatively other times. You need to do it all the time for it to have real effects. 
Now take my personal result in this fight here with a pinch of salt. This is the fight game we're talking about. Things aren't always going to go your way and pay off. All I'm saying is with the right thought patterns, you can put yourself in the best frame of mind leading up to a fight. This stuff can be applied to any aspect of your life. You will find that doing things like this over time consistently will build up your mental strength. You will feel as though you can push yourself more. And in turn, because you have constantly trained harder, your physical body will have gained too. It is just about making sure that the voice in your head is positive and always wins. Try some of this stuff out and let me know what you think. Train hard and push yourself. By Ellis Barboza, professional Muay Thai fighter from the UK, ranked number one in the bantamweight division and current English champion. Ellis has been training since teen years and has progressed through the ranks on his journey to where he is now. Thank you very much, Ellis, for writing this article for Muay Thai Magic, the website Muay Thai Magic. Like I said at the beginning, I will link in the show notes to the article so you can read it for yourself. But as I also noted at the beginning and throughout this episode, I think these things apply to all of life. And I think they can only help and benefit you in every aspect of your life. If you can not only embrace these five principles, let's call them, but also then put them into practice and to embody them, manifest them in your life. And so I'll end there. We're coming up on an hour. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Thanks for buying me a cup of coffee. If you want to buy coffee or you want to buy my coffee, check out Coffee by Gillespie, G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E, Coffee by Gillespie. He is the co-host of the other podcast I do, the Band Books Theological Podcast. He is a master roaster for sure. He roasts to order and uh, he's a good man and he's got a lot of kids, so he needs as much money as uh, he can find to support his family. But otherwise, I will talk to you again this Friday. We'll get back into Palinuk's book, Fight Club. Got some things to talk about there as well. But like I always say, you know, thank you for listening. Uh, Get in some trouble this week, just not too much. And we'll talk to you again real soon, all right? Peace. See you later, weirdos.